necessarily reflect what's going on in the deep innermost workings of the speaker, any known person using a pseudonym or using the correct name that they were given. And so this program really doesn't affect people in any way, shape, or form, or sense. So uh, we thought we'd just warn you that uh, you don't want your brain to get rotted, do you? I mean, after all, I mean, you only got one. You know, I presume you have one, and uh, you don't want it to sit out there in the sun and just cook away here. So just thought we'd warn you there. Make a big fat trail of dust down US 66. Ba 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 do ba da da do do. Ba 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 da do do do. Ba 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 da da do do. Ba 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 da da da. I have received the postcard here from, you know, you can always tell postcards from ladies with, the, you know, blue hair. Uh, they're kind of shaky. And they usually use purple ink. And that quite generally, uh, on the other side of the postcard is a colorful picture of the Howard Johnson at Interchange 34 on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. The uh, <laughs> William W. Scranton Howard Johnson. Do you know that they name Howard Johnsons after various important people? I mean, that is the final statement of fame, to have a Howard Johnson name there. You know, that Charles W. Dildock, Howard Johnson. This is where he spent most of his life, waiting at line in the, that line in front of the John at the Howard Johnson. 17 million yelling, screaming kids. 
They were always out of uh, all 16 of the 28 flavors. He spent all of his life in the Howard. So what more fitting than a Howard Johnson should be named after him? I wonder what old Tom Edison would think. You know, there's a Thomas Edison, Howard Johnson. <laughs> you know, well, it's, it's funny what we do in our society to honor our great men. Quite often we do just exactly the opposite that they would want us to do in life. For example, there's a James Thurber shopping center out in Columbus, Ohio. Did you know that? He would flip. <laughs> if there's anything that Thurber would have, you know, not dug, it's shopping centers, but there is a James Thurber shopping center at uh, George Aid. He's got a couple of things named after him, you know, George Aid. You know who George Aid was, didn't you? You don't know? Well, then you don't deserve to know, and I'm not going to tell you. Forget it. Great American. But uh, what would you like most to have named after you? I mean, your life. I, you know, you never know. You, you, you keep running into these enigmatic things. Like I was in the, I was in a in a lodge hall here a couple of days ago by some strange twist of nefarious fate. I was in a lodge hall, and there, you know, had plaques all over the wall. You know, it says uh, in memory of uh, Cletus Wap, uh, the bar. You see, he, says he, he uh, this is where he spent most of his life. You know, so what better you know name a bar after him. Well, I couldn't believe it. I went into the men's room, and there on the men's room was a was a little ceremonial plaque that says, In Memory of John W. Dildock. The men's room. So I figured, you know, <laughs> I mean, maybe this is where it, you know, where it happened for him. I don't know. So uh, what are you going to do? Uh, what would you like to have named after you? A Coke machine? <laughs> you know, it's in memoriam on the side of it. <laughs> so this is where he lost most of his life's blood, right here, putting dimes in this little bippy. But uh, nevertheless, these, these things, you know, how you shall measure a man. Who knows? Well, I don't know. I got this letter from this lady, and it's a nice, shaky note, and that's why I'm acting a little strange here tonight. It says, Dear Mr. Shepard, you sound like a man who is badly in need of a hobby. You must get yourself a hobby. Signed, a concerned listener. Oh, my God. I read that. I says, what a hobby. Listen, I'll tell you. Well, you, you how many times has that been, uh, uh, you hear it's been prescribed? You know, he must get himself a meaningful hobby. Get yourself a hobby. I mean, I think, I think one of the reasons why so many people are so afraid of getting old is they're going to have to do all those ridiculous things like play shuffleboard and uh, go into leather work making baskets and stuff like that. Wouldn't you love to make yourself a genuine Roy Acuff wallet and it has a picture of Roy Acuff on it that you yourself hammered out, you know, with your little hammer tapper there and the, <laughs> you're a leather worker. And then what do you do with it, you know? And, uh, but nevertheless, this is, the, this is the great curse of hobbies. And you see, and I think that, that most of us are measured by those little things, the hobbies. Now, I'm always, I've always secretly envied guys that are in the establishment. You know what you can call roughly the establishment. I've always really envied them. And, and I've noticed some things very important about them. That uh, in general, you know, whenever, whenever they have this, you know, these books on how I made it by uh, some, you know, important guy. He's always being interviewed on the Arlene Francis show. And the, he, he, you know, he's written a book on how I made it, how I made all this dough and how I've become so important. Seven handy golden hints inside if just five minutes a day you'll read my book, you'll learn how to become a golden person. And the people buy this stuff up, oh, boy, they buy it, you know, because everybody secretly believes that, that there are the few golden types and then the rest of us are made out of kind of a, you know, an alloy of lead and uh, 
a few of the lesser valuable earth metals and uh, possibly a big, uh, a big quantity of concrete, and we sink heavily in the sea of life. Well, I want to tell you that uh, I believe that guys go on to make it. Now, listen, any of you kids that are worrying about, you know, making it big in this life, and some of you might be, that guys that go on to make it invariably can be detected by certain absolutely, absolutely never wrong clues. For one thing, they always have very conventional hobbies, like stamp collecting. At least nine presidents have been stamp collectors. Stamp collecting? Do you know that I spent at least three years out of my first ten trying to get interested in stamps? People kept giving me stamp albums for my birthday. I was always bored out of my skull about stamps. Who are these stamps? You paste them in, what do you do then? Look at them. And you paste in another one, you look at it. I mean, does the stamp album say something to you? That's right. Now, what about other guys that go on to make it big? Well, they have nice hobbies like, uh, like uh, lounging on the fantail of a yacht. Now that's that. Now that's Nixon's hobby. Apparently, he sits on the back of yachts and goes, you know, goes out to sea all the time. I mean, other guys' yachts, and that's a good kind of hobby to have. But I've never been. You know, it's never called me. You got to have a call for a hobby. It must be like a religion. You must have the call. You can't fake it. You can't say to yourself tonight, "I'm gonna collect stamps if it kills me." Damn it, I'm gonna learn to collect stamps, and I'm gonna love it. Oh no! Because a real stamp collector can spot a phony instantly. Oh no, you can't fake it like a lot of other things. You can't fake a love affair either. You try that, it never works. Right, Jerry? Never. She suddenly says, what's the matter? What are you thinking of? You can't tell her you're thinking of a cheeseburger. But she thinks you're thinking of a cheeseburger. You might as well be thinking of a cheeseburger. In fact, you were thinking of a hot dog with mustard. So you can't fake certain things. You can't fake being a Stamp nut, you can't fake, you know, and these beautiful kind of nice clean hobbies that, like uh, leather craft. Have you noticed that all the Miss Subways have got hobbies like that? It says Miss Subway is a clean cut American girl who does a little modeling on the side. And there you see her, see Barbie Barbie. She's looking out of the, that uh, subway at you. And she says she reads a lot and her hobby is uh, visiting interesting places. <laughs> It's a hobby. I'll tell you some of the interesting places I have visited. Now, I suppose that could be a hobby. There was this place once in Indiana Harbor, Indiana, that I visited with a, with a friend of mine, Farkas, Al Farkas. We were visiting that place when all of a sudden there was a lot of pounding on the door and 16 cops rushed in, and it was an interesting place. I don't know whether or not, of course, we went out the basement window, so we didn't stay to see. I guess they wanted to play cards or something. You know, they were all excited and yelling. And... Uh, and, you know, I don't like people that yell and holler and swing stuff at other people. So I left very very quickly. We went down the alley with, with uh, Farkas. But now that was an interesting place. I wonder whether Miss Subways would collect that one. 
I could, <laughs> I could tell you a few other interesting places I've collected in my time, but I wouldn't call it a hobby because, in general, when I find that a place is interesting, I'm usually running very fast from it. The people are throwing stuff at me, you know. It's a, so, in general, I would have to say, honestly, that is not my hobby, collecting interesting places. Now, uh, have you noticed that uh, other people have nice hobbies like photography? That's with a capital P. Photography. And what do they take pictures of? What do they do with them? The, the, one of the worst things about photography as a hobby is that you wind up with all these pictures. And that, you know, nothing is boring. I, in fact, I know a guy whose hobby is photography, and his eyes get glazed when he shows you his pictures. They bore him. But, you know, he's sticking with it. i got to admit that. One thing about being, you know, involved in one of these hobbies, you've got to have stick to which uh, Miss Nelson used to always tell me I didn't have. stick to <laughs> Ridiculous. So uh, that means you've got to hang in, in spite of the fact that your head is asleep. Now, nobody can tell you why, but you just do. You've got to stick with it. Now, there, there are other interesting hobbies, like, uh, for example, uh, sports. Miss Subways often has that hobby. That's a nice question. Now, I can tell you there are certain sports, and I'm sure that Miss Subways doesn't involve herself in, at least publicly. Now, uh, those could be carried to the point of a hobby, but they often prove to be dangerous for your health, and you might get shot. But outside of that, I suppose... Uh, <laughs> but the how you make sports your hobby, I don't know. Now, I like those guys. You know, it says his hobby is golf. This is hobby, golf. You know, golf. Okay. What does he do? Well, all right. I have never been able to truly understand the mystique that follows, that seems to draw men on like some kind of ethereal magnet to hit a little ball into a hole. They just keep going around hitting it with these sticks and trying to make it go in the hole. Now, you know, this is, it just sounds to me like one of those pig and a rat and a Pope Maze. You ever seen those little puzzles where you, you know, you roll this, uh, you roll this little ball, this iron ball back and forth, and you try to get uh, three of the iron balls to go into the little, the little holes marked one, two, three, and you get the first two in, the third one rolls out, then you get the third one in, the first two roll out. It just keeps going on like a, like a Chinese neck, a nail puzzle. You know, you try to unhook the nails. It's a totally ridiculous puzzle. It means nothing when you finally get it unhooked. You got two crooked nails. A completely ridiculous. It's like, what do you do with a with a totally worked out crossword puzzle? <laughs> you know, it's it's like Mount Everest. It's there. It, it's a completely meaningless object. Reminds me, this is W O R. Speaking of facades and bullhorns. Oh, there's a promise for America. A bright new promise just for you. Chrysler Plymouth Coming through The kind of dealer that you look for Wants to do much more for you The kind of guy who thinks that you are number one Like a friend that you can turn to Like a friend who's here to stay The kind of dealer that America wants to be Chrysler Plymouth, coming through. Chrysler Plymouth, coming through. 
America's number one Chrysler Plymouth dealers. Your Chrysler Plymouth dealers of New York, New Jersey, and Fairfield County. Act now while the price freeze is still on. Yeah, they're all good. What's this guy? Oh, here, here's a fascinating piece of information. Sent to you direct from the commercial department, the Proteans. And by the way, that is, there are two pronunciations, in case you're curious. Proteans and proteins. Look it up. I prefer the English proteins. The proteins in buckwheat, without any amino acid additives, have about the same nutritive efficiency as proteins of animal origin with high biological value. That's certainly going to make you think, right? But the, what we're selling here is Wolf's Kasha. Wolf's Kasha, W-O-L-F-F-S, Wolf's Kasha. It's made from buckwheat groats. And uh, they're especially good in the summer there, the groats, when uh, they're in heat and they, they feed a lot at that time. And if you want the best groats, these are buckwheat groats, as nutritious as well as delicious. And if you don't know that Kasha's, Wolf's Kasha is delicious, you haven't tried it. It's one of the world's most useful and healthful foods. It's been prepared for centuries in Eastern Europe. So if you're on a real ecological kick or a food kick, try Wolf's Kasha. And it, uh, you, what you do is use it instead of rice or potatoes or pasta. You can use it for dessert or for breakfast. You can use it to pave your lawn with. You can do all kinds of things. And uh, we'll send you a great new cookbook. Tell you plenty of, of uh, ways to prepare this stuff, including how to make little uh, statuary and everything out of it. That's Wolf's Kasha. W-O-L-F-F-S. Wolf's Kasha. Spell with a K. K-A-S-H-A. Chock full of vitamins and proteins. <laughs> and believe me, taste. Wolf's Kasha. It's available in any supermarket, and it's cheap besides. <laughs> For all that, it's cheap. And it makes sense to try it. Now, there are some hobbies that I can see a certain amount of sense to. For example, coin collecting. <laughs> oh, sure. I mean, how do you think old man's Rockefeller, his grandfather, you know, you know Nelson Rockefeller's grandfather, he was a great coin collector. Well, I mean, he collected a lot of good, solid, negotiable coin. And uh, ultimately, you know, it, it, was, it was a very, very, uh, I would say, a very enlarging hobby. <laughs> you know, it gives you so many opportunities to meet interesting people. And, uh, I mean, if you collect enough of them, you see, and then the word gets out. See, oh, you ought to hear the cabbage that Fred's got. The next thing you know, you got a lot of friends. You'd be surprised. But uh, on the other hand, uh, I've often wondered, you know, about these various hobbies because, uh, 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 for example, uh, there's uh, certain hobbies like uh, that are described as activities. Very few hobbies are honestly realistic, though. For example, I would love to see, uh, you know, Miss Subways. It says, uh, Miss Subways, Barbie, Barbie. Miss Subway's this lovely, dark-eyed, flashing-haired beauty uh, has a hobby which many find very interesting, drinking. And, uh... <laughs> <you know. laughs> and, uh I could think of other things, but you know, I mean, it's just, it's, the kids are still up and all that. You don't want it to go too far afield in this department, but nevertheless, <laughs> immediately I can hear them, Oh, yeah, yeah, I can see what he said. Yeah, that's right, friend. That's what I was thinking. But uh, now, on the other hand, you know, you can you can just drift. And while we're drifting... Come on, hit it. One, two, three, four. One, two. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh. 
though I've, I've, I've wanted and I've wanted and maybe the reason why I'm not such a hobby cuckoo is that uh, well it goes back a long way because you know I think boys tend to be more involved in hobbies than girls now that's a generalization I agree but it's just a thing that I have observed now I may be wrong what do you think you think I'm right or not Jay I mean you know I mean classical hobbies you know you don't often find the girl whose hobby is coin collecting you know Unless it's, you know, collecting half-dollar pieces and that kind of stuff. But, uh, I, I mean, uh, you don't often find the girl whose hobby is uh, pole line construction, uh, which <laughs> was briefly my hobby when I was in the Army. I loved it. Oh, yes, I love to build things, you know, climb up on the top of telephone poles and get blown off and stuff. That's a good, exciting hobby. But uh, this is a male thing. Now, I suppose there's a lot of Freudian implications to this the desire to find a hobby, the desire to find identification, the desire to uh, define the limits of what you are. I mean, when somebody comes up and says, what are you? What are you going to say? Well, uh, I'm a human being, person. I mean, you know, that's a very hip answer, but it hardly answers the question. I mean, so was Adolf Hitler, you know. Attila the Hun, he, you know, he was a person. Conrath the Bald, he was a groovy one. Ethelred the Scaly, they were all great guys, but, uh, you notice they had names after their names. Hunrath the Bald. No question where old Hun stood. Hunrath. He was as bald as a billiard ball and tougher than nails, or they wouldn't have called him that, believe me. Ethelred the Scaly, well, you know, guy, you know, uh, the plumbing was bad, and after all, he, he was uh, allergic to, uh, <laughs> to beer and stuff like that. He broke out a lot, but uh, nevertheless... Uh, these these give you a sense of identity. So if you wake a guy up at 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, the average male, you wake him up at 3 in the morning, so what are you? Quick, quick, quick. Come on, quick. What are you? Well, what's he going to say? You know, uh, Charlie, Charlie. Oh, no, no, my name is Clarence, Clarence. That's not enough. There are 4,297,000 other Clarences. What are you? Oh, stamp collector. <laughs> Yeah, it feels good. You suddenly have defined yourself. Now, there was an earlier age when a man would define himself by his religion. So you wake him up at three in the morning and say, What are you? Quick, quick. Oh, Seventh-day Adventist. Uh, uh. Well, all right. Uh, you know. So, okay. But you can't, uh, you know, you can't, uh, if, if I were to come to you at three in the morning, you see, and I grab a hold of your shoulder and say, Quick, 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 wake up, Charlie. Hey, quick, quick, quick. What are you? Uh, 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 I'm a beer drinker. Uh, uh. 
You know, that's kind of silly. It may be true, but uh, after all, you know, you're a... <laughs> Can you imagine that scene? Well, if uh, this is a, a really interesting experiment to try. You know, you you grab some guys, you know, wake them up, from, what are you, quiet, who, play pinochle, pinochle player. No, no, you pinochle player. That's why guys join lodges. It's, it is. I mean, you're mo- if if you're wake up at three in the morning and the guy wakes up and says, "What are you? What are you? Oh, I'm a moose." Well, he's a moose. That's kind of nice. It's, it's nicer than being a human being to a lot of people. You know, being a moose. And it's kind of. By the way, speaking of one of the <laughs> of that silly thing that uh, sometimes it leads us into very silly things. The search for identity. You know, one of the silliest movies I've seen in years. I mean, it was so silly. The whole basic premise was so funny I could hardly keep from laughing all the way through. It was beautifully photographed. Like so many things that are beautifully done, it was based on a totally uh, totally sad, uh, fallacious, uh, silly premise. Did you see a man named Horse? Oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, it was really... But uh, nevertheless, uh, me, Big Chief, uh, Lord, what about him? But uh, it was kind of silly, you know. But of course, the the uh, the mythology of the of the red man, the mythology of the white man, the mythology of the green man, the mythology of the purple man. Uh, these these mythologies constantly shift in the sky, see, and they they go crowding one another over the precipice of nonsensicality from time to time. Oh, they really do. Oh, sure. Uh, but they, what what are you going to do about that? Part of the mythology, of course, is is uh, having a hobby. And it's not easy. And so, like all kids, I got you know I'm 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 about eight or nine. I remember, yes, I'm about eight or nine. See, and of course, I'm searching, searching. <laughs> Who am I? Well, you know, the guys write whole novels on this jazz. But, you know, when you're really searching, you don't know. You know, you don't know that you're searching. You just uh, you know you got the itch. See, so every day I come home walking down the. You know, walking down a back alley every day, I'd come home from the Warren G. Harding School. How would you like to go to a school with a name like that? Warren G. Harding. Worst president that ever, you know, that ever, uh, that ever tapped the teapot dome. The Warren G. Harding School. Every day I'm coming home, see. Already, we were beginning to divide off, you see, into the kids that were going to make it and the other kids. Now, the, nobody knew it at the time, but it was quite obvious. Now that I look back on it, some kids were already becoming adept at playing the accordion. That's very commercial. I mean, that's a very straight thing to know. Other kids were going on to become piano players. They were taking piano lessons every week. Why, at least half of the presidents that have gotten elected in the last 5,000 years have been bad piano players. Do you notice that there has never yet been a president when calling a White House soiree says, I think I'm going to play for you a uh, quick uh, selection on a Jew's arm. No. No, no. Now, presidents have got the right thoughts from the start. They learn to play pianos. That's right. They learn to love ballet. Hey, you know, you notice whenever they have something at the White House going all the way back to the beginning, when they're going to have an official thing at the White House, they invite the uh, playwrights. I can't stand a theater. 
I mean, if there's anything that makes me break out in a rash quicker, it's going to a play where all the actors walk around and yell and talk very loud, and their faces are painted kind of orange, you know, and they have this cardboard scenery back of them. I find Hamlet for it. Yeah. Weep for me, that's right. Where am I going to go? Down the roller coaster of life. Riding the car with a flat wheel. With a bad transmission. Not to mention the differential that's about to go out. Holy smokes, I need a valve job. Boy, where's that compression? Nothing. Pistons made out of spaghetti. She. Kingpins made out of balsa wood. Silly putty. Yes. I'm about eight or nine, walking up and down the back alleys, coming home. Little did I know I was searching, searching. All the other kids already had begun to divide up. There were piano players, and there were tap dancers. <coughs> yeah, taking tap dancing lessons. Already guys had started the hobby of girl chasing. That was going to be their lifelong pursuit. In fact, I remember one kid in my class, Jack Morton. He's already been married 12 times, officially. About 36 other times that I know of, he never mentioned. So he's pursuing his thing. And every day I would come home down through that dark alley, me and Schwartz, searching, searching, grumbling, sniffing the wind, like the searching male animal always does, sniffing the wind looking for a clue. What's it all about? Searching. The skies would hang low over them alleys. The winds would blow through the ancient telegraph wires of desire. Yes. Day after day, I searched. And this search takes many finite forms. For example, one form that it takes is the male animal. Ah, yes. It's searching through garbage. You're looking for stuff. How many males out there have looked for stuff? Just look for stuff. You watch the ground all the time for something good. You never know. Looking for stuff. And once in a while, if you're lucky, you'll find it. And so it was with me. One night, deep in my ninth year. A seductive spring. Summer was coming on big. You could hear the birds for miles around, birding. The Chicago White Sox were 37 games behind the leader in the American League. It was a normal completely predictable summer. Except for one thing. I'm walking along one day through the alley behind all these buildings. An alley I'd walked and searched through for countless trips before. But suddenly... In a great pile of grubbage, 
behind the big office building. A great pile of glunk. I discovered something. And instantly, instantly, I knew. <laughs> I found myself. Oh, Oh, yes, my soul danced higher and higher into the great skies. A balloon released from the earthbound cares and worries of simple humanity. You scratch any human being, no matter who he is, and you will find a Greek somewhere. You will never guess what I found. Oh, what a great feeling. For, for one brief instant, I thought to myself, don't tell Schwartz. Because Schwartz was working the other side of the alley, see? But I couldn't, I couldn't resist it. I held it up and I said, Schwartz! Schwartz, look at this! And Schwartz come rushing over across the alley, because you never know what you're going to find in the garbage, you know. He comes rushing over and says, what is it, what is it? I said, look at that, Schwartz. And I held it in my hand. It was beautiful. It was a magnificent, decayed, impacted wisdom tooth. Weighed six pounds, had 17 roots. I had discovered a decayed wisdom tooth. A people tooth. Schwartz says, where'd you get that? I says, here, Schwartz. In this pile of grubbage. He's no kidding. And we both dove headlong into the pile of grubbage. And what a fantastic sweeping of ecstasy. <laughs> Together. <laughs> you like that, don't you? <laughs> That's not bad. Well, I'll tell you this. From that minute on, I had found my calling. You know, they, they, they talk about that. There's been many writings about that moment of satori, that moment of clarity. You know, that moment when uh, one of Somerset Maugham's ministers gets the call. One of Graham Greene's characters suddenly sees the glimmer of truth in the heavens high above. And he knows his course forever. That moment. It was like that moment that it must have been that way with Ahab. That moment when Ahab realized that their life was about one thing. Getting that crummy whale. Bang. From that minute on, there was no question. Well, that moment of realization. Now, not many people, not all people, I shouldn't say not many, I should say not all people have had that moment of revelation, of uh, soul definition, shall I put it? The call? Well, Schwartz and I got it that afternoon under the arching brass-bound sky. The call.
we had discovered the garbage heap that was the accrual of the daily labors of a local, very busy dentist. Teeth. Thousands of them. All shapes. Even now, when I think of owning a nice, good, solid, carry-ridden collection of used teeth, I get excited. Beautiful teeth. All kinds of teeth. Great teeth. Little ones, big ones. Yellow ones, white ones, blue ones, green ones. You'd be surprised at the color teeth come in. Yeah. And amid all this glop is all kinds of other great stuff, like uh, x-ray pictures of teeth. Thousands of these little black squares. You hold them up to light and you see more teeth. Big holes in them. Well, something told both of us. You see, man is not only a creature of infinite search. He is a creature of inbuilt instincts, which he constantly fights against. Some instincts are instincts which, you know, are very easily uh, seen. They stand out like icebergs in the East River. Like, uh, you know, sex. Things like that. That's why guys write uh, novels about these things, because they're easy to write about. There are other instincts that are more subtle, that we all have. And that's the instinctual knowledge of right and wrong. It has nothing to do with any dogmatic statement of religion. Somehow, somehow, that little bell, no, no, the other one, that little bell rang in our minds, both of us at the same time. It's wrong. Collecting people's teeth is wrong. Yes, it is. But it's also groovy. It's exciting. So without saying a word, Schwartz and I decided not to say anything to anybody. Just keep on collecting teeth. I put mine in a Prince Albert tobacco can. One of these red cans with a picture of Prince Albert on the side. Schwartz put his in a Chasen Sandburns coffee can. Good to the last drop. Or is that Maxwell House? It's toasted. Ask the man who tried one. And I'd put my teeth in there every day. Every day we'd go back to this guy's office. We'd grubble in the garbage. Sometimes you'd find used dentures. That was a jackpot. He'd throw out a whole set of false teeth. I remember one time Schwartz running down the street with a pair of false choppers clamped in his teeth, yelling. Great big ones, man. <laughs> and then the terrible day that Schwartz lost his false teeth which he carried in the back pocket of his corduroy knickers. This terrible, sad day. But I'd like to have seen the face on somebody who found them. Found Schwartz's used false teeth. And we used to put those teeth in those cans day by day, and then we'd get to swapping them. 
Do you know that, that one incisor is worth two molars on the kid teeth swapping market? And that for one molar, you can get five canines. <laughs> In case you're curious. And of course, one of the great jackpots of all is an impacted wisdom. Because, you know, it has mystical connections. Wisdom, truth, and beauty, and light. Submerged like a vast subterranean mother lord of beauty. And I kept mine under the bed. I had this pile of stuff under the bed. All males have a pile of stuff under their bed. Fielders, mitts, baseball bats, grubbles, dust, crud, cut-out stuff, cans of junk, all kinds of stuff, tin. I one time had a 17-pound ball of tin foil that I collected that I kept under the bed. Always afraid somebody'd steal it. Worth a lot of dough, you know. I kept my can of teeth under that bed. And I'd stick it way in the back. And day by day, I had filled up three Prince Albert cans of magnificent teeth. And now I was beginning to get selective. I didn't pick up any tooth, you know. You don't just pick up any tooth. It's like stamp collectors at first. You know, they start out with three-cent George Washingtons. After a while, you know, they go into the Mauritius Triangular Grays. And I began to collect fancy teeth. In fact, I even collected... I, I want... My best tooth was a magnificent tooth. Had about seven magnificently developed roots that hung down underneath it that were tied in square knots. What a tooth. What a mean tooth. And then one day, that moment, oh, I'll never forget that day. That day of fear, I came home and I stuck my hand under the bed. My teeth were gone. Oh, my God, my teeth are gone. My teeth are gone. Somebody knew. And it was only one person who went under the bed. That's right. My mother knew I was collecting dead teeth under the... under my bed. That sinking feeling. Deep down inside my gut that discovered that, that feeling that your rottenness has been discovered. And so I went out into the kitchen, see, trying to look like nothing happened. <laughs> yeah, Knocked together a peanut butter sandwich. By the way, I used to love peanut butter and jelly on soft salami. On rye. What a combination. Oh, I'll tell you. I'm not going to get you a little, you know, you're not washed that down with a little yoo-hoo and you've got something that just don't stop, friends. That's a meal fit for a real slob. So I'm not going to get her sandwich. My mother comes up behind me and says, where did you get those teeth? I says, what teeth? <laughs> those teeth. I said, well, I, 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 I found them. She says, you found those teeth? Come with me. And she goes into the dining room and calls the dentist. It was the only dentist in town. I remember standing there looking so embarrassed. Oh, no. She says, hello? Dr. Schultz? This is Mr. Shepard. Yes, that's right. 
My son has a can of your teeth under his bed. You come over and get your teeth. Ten minutes later, the dentist arrived and knocked on the door and took his teeth back. Let, let Edward Albee top that for surrealism. Have you ever had a dentist come to your house to ask for his teeth back? Well, I've had it. And so I can never be a stamp collector. I can never be a coin collector. I can never be a golfer. Not after that.